Hey there film fans and welcome to another episode of The Real Take. Now this week we are tackling a really tough subject. This is a debate as old as time. Well, maybe not as old as time, but you'll definitely hear this topic discussed passionately at parties when you've had one too many drinks and you'll definitely see forums online dedicated to thrashing out this very argument. It's time to settle once and for all. Prepare for squabbling, disagreements and talking over each other. It's time to settle the debate on whether Nicolas Cage can, in fact, act. I don't have time to explain myself, Sinead. I have to go and kiss the president. Sit down and grab a glass. Sinead Ross and I'll have made a podcast. It's the real take, breaking it down. Having fun and talking movies. Talking movies. Yes, it is the real take, a podcast by film fans for film fans. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the real take wherever you get your podcasts, and you won't miss another episode, you idiot. Uh, he's an anomaly nobody can figure out but he can be an award-winning actor but most of the time people only remember him for his performances that are just batshit crazy this are you week, talking about me Sinead I am it's the good the bad and the downright cagey is what I'm going to say uh, and Niall and Ross are here how you doing guys I'm doing very well yes yeah, I'm, I'm not I feel, I'm feeling I'm not I'm not very well liked by my fellow hosts at the moment. Yeah, well we need a little bit of insanity, don't we, if this is what we're gonna be talking about. Yeah, just for for on a side note, this is a footnote, a reference point, if you will, listeners. Um Niall is just gonna go I don't know if it's method acting, I don't know if it's nouveau shamanic, <laughs> but he's gonna channel his inner cage right this episode. So look, don't be alarmed. I'm recording this wearing a Japanese kimono in my <laughs> mansion where i have dinosaur skulls all around me he actually does have dinosaur he did buy a dinosaur skeleton i know that's why i said it ross so So, i'm going to be doing less nicholas cage impressions because i cannot do them so yeah neither can i it's not stopping me (laughs) i haven't tried actually i'm not even going to do that but um ross this was very much your episode uh, your idea for an episode which i love by the way tell us where did the where's the inspiration now for this episode (laughs) strike you ross where did you get the idea there ross well it's, it's it's a completely unoriginal idea as you might have guessed um, I, I was really big into a TV show a couple of years ago called Community it's about a bunch of people in a community college very funny show you should definitely check it out if you haven't but there's one character in it who's obsessed with movies like ourselves he goes by the name of Abed and uh, in the community college he does a whole course on <laughs> on Nicolas Cage and whether or not he's a good actor and at, at the beginning, the um, the lecturer advises him, don't get caught up in it. You know, there is no answer to the there question. There is no answer. Yeah. You, you'll drive yourself crazy thinking about it. But Abed, being such a pop culture nerd, is determined. He's just determined to find out and catalogue whether or not Nicolas Cage is a good actor or a bad actor. And as you can imagine, and as the lecturer warned against, it, it begins to affect his mind. Um, let's have a little listen to Abbott and Community as he's trying to figure out whether Nicolas Cage is good or bad. Nicolas Cage, good or bad? A challenge, certainly, but not insolvable because all actors have distinct values, which I use to find answers. Abbott, 
How much Nicolas Cage did you watch? Enough! I watched enough to find the answers. Because this, this is my reality. This is how I learned to be. And my being doesn't allow for Nicolas freaking Cage, OK? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. Oh, I'm a cat. I'm a sexy cat. So yeah, <laughs> I think there he came across a bit of difficulty with categorizing Nicolas Cage. I think it's something we've all experienced maybe in the last week, is it? Oh, definitely. <laughs> I don't no. know. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think I think I, I know the answer. I think there is oh. one answer. So I think I know it. Oh. Yeah, I think I have an answer too, but we'll wait until the end. <laughs> well, I think, we, I think like, before we get into answers, I think we have questions. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> we, yes. we have many questions. <laughs> like, this, you know, what a journey is all I can say that this man has been on. I mean, he starts out decent enough getting attention you know uh memorable enough roles in, mm. in comedy well, he starts stuff. out as well not nicholas cage yeah Isn't yeah it? well we're going to get to that in a minute oh, but okay, you know sorry. then he kind of he goes into the action kind of uh blockbuster genre i suppose and does quite well there and you know before that as well picking up an oscar um then he goes into crazy territory that's <laughs> just like what mm. is this? What are those bug eyes and crazy smiles about? And then he goes into, oh my God, Oscar glory again. And then kind of into obscurity. And it's it's mental. It's up and down and it's around the place. And it's just, there's nothing kind of structured, let's say, really about kind of his, his career choices. So what I think most people are agree, agreeing on is they're quite puzzled by Nicolas Cage's career. Is he good? Is he bad? Is he good, but he's just made bad choices? Does he just like working and will literally do anything? What is going on with this man's career? That is the question, really. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if I think I ha like I said, I think I have an idea. Is he good, bad or genius? But I don't know what his mindset is. I can't tell you what mm. goes on in his crazy cage, his head cage, if you like. Um, I think if you if you want to look at his filmography and trying to go okay the, he was doing this at this time because of whatever i think you're on a loser really i think <laughs> it's literally he wakes up in his giant mansion with dinosaur skulls around him in his kimono and goes i think i'd like to do a movie today because maybe there'll be catering i could eat Food. Yeah, it could be <laughs> stuff it like that, be. you know. But or I think maybe he... you know it'd be like, oh, well, where are they filming? Is it Thailand? Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I'd like that experience. Yeah. Uh, is it because though, you know, uh, Nicholas Cage has always been very difficult to place, moving between genres, styles, accents, kind of thing, more than most actors in his league. He doesn't settle into a type because. You know, if you think of actors who were emerging in and around the same kind of time as them, right? Like, I'll give, I'll throw out another one that we could totally have a, <laughs> an argument about uh, as well. Let's say Adam Sandler. He would have started a few years after him. But immediately, you know, 
it's the socially inept man child in some sort mm. of quandary that the, the movies he's in. Well, I, I, you know? I think Sandler is always, you know, he first and foremost, comedic actor. Mm. And and he has had great success in serious roles. And I think his serious roles really are, are where he's probably better. It's harder to pin Cage down. I don't know. Yeah. What do you think, Ross? I actually, I kind of agree with his his um, career going through different stages and I think the reason is because he kind of seems like a leading man you know he has yeah. the, the the charisma and the presence of a leading man but he just makes these unusual choices that maybe you might have seen more in character actors so I think a lot of people see him as a leading man, man and they put him in a certain type of role other people see the, the, the character actor type things but still put him in leading roles and more quirky Films. I think a lot of people can see a lot of different things in Nicolas Cage, and that's what, why he's. What the, Ross? What does Nicolas Cage see in himself? That's what we're trying <laughs> yeah. to get to. We're trying that's to get the, to the to the, the million dollar question center here. That is. And, uh, that is. Yeah. Well, do you know what? The, I came across a quote today in in my research. This is from a, the Guardian newspaper a journalist who is a fan of of Nicolas Cage. She says, "If actors were pop songs, Cage would be Bohemian Rhapsody." <laughs> <laughs> that is very true yeah, I think that is a, such yeah. a good way of, of summing him up you know and actually uh, your favourite guy um, Niall uh, Roger, Roger Ebert he says mm. right he always seems so earnest however improbable his character he never winks at the audience he's committed to the character with every atom and plays him as if he were him his success in making Charlie Kaufman say a neurotic mess and Donald Kaufman a carefree success in uh, adaptation in the same movie comes largely from this gift. He says there are slight cosmetic differences between the two. Charlie usually needs a shave. Donald has a little bit more hair. But the real reason we can tell the twins apart, even when they're in the same trick shot, comes from within. Cage can tell them apart. He's always Charlie when he plays Charlie and he's always Donald when he plays Donald. And I thought that was a really good uh, analysis saying of, of adaptation which is an example of, of, of great cage really I suppose yeah absolutely there is a there is a lot of love for cage out there yeah like um, you know like uh, David Lynch who we worked on with uh, in, in Wild at Heart called him like the jazz musician <laughs> of American acting and uh, another actor Ethan Hawke um, said that uh, cage was like the only actor since Marilyn Brando that has done anything new <laughs> with yeah. the art. So, yeah. you know, that's pretty high praise as well for a guy who's seen as such um, I don't know what the word is, but it, it's high praise for a guy who is often uh, at the butt end of yeah. a joke as well, you know? Or well, when, did, when, when did that start, I wonder? Because, I mean, you're like, we're talking about, say, um, you know, uh, Wild at Heart, which would have, I think, everybody would say one of his, like, that's in certainly the column of of good cage oh. when yeah. did he become a pastiche of himself which a lot of actors do and i think he's had a journey then to go through being a pastiche of himself and come out the other side and still be good in stuff in certain things because of the fact that people ex expect this crazy you know out yeah. there performance from him i'm not sure i mean does anybody have an idea can anyone say okay was this movie well, I think it's a collection yeah, of the fact that he's been an actor, a very active actor, um, starring in roles consistently for the last 40 years. 
um, might have something to do with you know him developing a style and people kind of twigging it like if you if, if you're in enough movies everyone will say Shashan Bean dies every movie he's in mm. or you know Tom Cruise runs every movie he's in or do you know <laughs> if you're in the movie industry long enough you're gonna there's gonna be things that it's people pick up on and you're especially gonna notice them if they're as blatant and, and is he in your face as Nicolas Cage do you know yeah. like I, I I think he's these kind of things that stick out like so much like he, he he's he's unhinged in a way that I don't think we've seen in any other actor. Yeah, I like that. A beautifully unhinged, though. Yes. <laughs> well, his hinges are different. We put it that way. I don't want to say he's unhinged. His hinges open different different ways. <laughs> say that maybe. He swings both ways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he does. Well, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe. Uh, well, look. Let's go back to the start and give you a little bit of a background to. Nicholas Cage. Um, and, and as you mentioned, of course, didn't start off as Nicholas Cage, but he was born in California during the mid 60s. Uh, apparently didn't have the happiest of childhoods. Apparently his mother suffered from mental illness and it fell to his dad, a university professor, to bring him up. Um, as many people might know, he is, of course, nephew to director Francis Ford Capella. So hence the change of name, which Niall will absolutely love, was based on a comic book <laughs> Luke character. Cage. <laughs> Luke Cage. Yeah. Uh, but it does seem that Cage is destined to go into the family business. Um, but apparently uh, Capella, uh, the director, refused to let his nephew screen test for him <laughs> for quite a while. Uh, he ditched this the family surname to strike out on his own. Um, he became obsessed with acting, though, from the age of six when his father brought uh, the family's first colour television. And uh, he watched all sorts of creepy things like Nosferatu and all sorts of things that young children of six probably shouldn't be watching. But anyway, uh, he got his break with minor roles. And I completely forgot about this in teen comedies like The Best of Times and Fast Times at Richmond High, alongside Crispin Glover and Sean Penn. Um, he, as you kind of alluded to there, Ross, he's known for appearing in at least one film per year, nearly every year since 1980, with the exception of 85 and 91. Um, so in the early stages, he would have starred in critically acclaimed films such as Valley Girl from 83, Racing with the Moon, 84, Birdie, 85, Peggy Sue Got Married, Raising Arizona, of course, Moonstruck, Vampire's Kiss, Wild at Heart, Honeymoon in Vegas, Red Rock West, many, many movies there. And... Um, Cage received an Academy Award, a Golden Globe and Screen Actors Guild Award for his performance as an alcoholic Hollywood writer in Leaving Las Vegas. Um, so that's kind of moving into to, to good Cage territory there in 1995 before coming to the attention of wider audiences with mainstream films. And this is kind of moving into the kind of more blockbuster commercially stuff like The Rock, Face Off, Con Air, City of Angels and National Treasure. Um, he earned his second Academy Award nomination for his performance as Charlie and Donald Kaufman in Adaptation. And I think it's a real shame that he didn't pick that Oscar up. Um, in 2002, didn't realise this, he directed the film Sonny, for which he was nominated for Grand Special Prize at the Duville Film Festival uh, as well. So I didn't realise that he'd actually stepped behind the camera as well to produce and direct. Um, and then, you know, you're moving into uh, movies, which is very varied. Like you have uh, The Life of uh, life of David Gale, sorry, he produced, but uh, performances in like, say, The Weatherman from 2005, Lord of War, the same year, um, Bad Lieutenant, Kick-Ass. They earned critical acclaim you know they they were doing quite well for him and then he had of course uh roles in ghost rider which 
you know, although panned by by critics, I don't think that performed too badly box office wise. You know, um, yeah, he's a, super, I mean, he's a big superhero fan, so I'd say he I'm is, sure he was just yeah, delighted yeah. to jump the, at the chance. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I, and fam- famously called his son Kal-El after Superman, and we yes, that's right. Yeah, but, but um, um, yeah, the the Ghost Rider movies were. Um, I I think they were kind of panned, but the fans were going. We really like Nicolas Cage as this character, mm. and it it spawned a sequel then, which was kind of a soft reboot, if you like. Um, a couple of years after that. Yeah, and and you know the say like the from his early work apparently, um, it left him craving more experimental boundary breaking gigs that would allow him to kind of let loose a little more, and as a result, he developed what we're talking about, and what countless internet memes will will reference um is his trademark exaggerated style so the eyes wide frothing at the mouth vein bulging in the forehead kind of stuff and he would dub this technique of overacting as nouveau shamanic so de niro might have his method acting but cage has nouveau shamanic which i think Ross is going to talk about a bit more detail but basically it's about him being open to the idea that anything that he has experienced will give him something in an almost trance-like state so he can kind of refer to it and be as authentic as possible so it doesn't feel forced. So there you go. Um, but I will say his style, that the style, he does adopt a good bit of method acting for that. Like for one particular movie, he apparently now, he pulled out two of his teeth without any anesthesia <gasps> to get into the character's mindset or something. Okay. So... <laughs> there's that's some extreme match. method acting well, that's what the, reportedly that's what involved the, the shaman was telling him to do at the <laughs> yeah, time the shaman made Obviously, me do it yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know then uh, uh, like that's kind of I suppose summing up as much as, as much as we possibly could and that's like am I even scratching the surface here you know this man I mean, has, has so many movies yeah. yeah not even so many movies but so many tones if you like yeah. I mean he literally has done, as you say, he's he's dipped his toe into every genre that there is, I think, in film. Like from family friendly Disney adventures to, you know, off the wall, crazy, um, you know, uh, what would you say? Uh, you know, movies about about corrupt policemen who like to snort cocaine and, mm. and do things like that. But he like there's nothing off. There's nothing, I think, that comes across his his desk and he doesn't go yeah no i mean i'll have a read and maybe maybe well, i'll take it <laughs> yeah to be fair though uh, he's one of the few actors uh that you'll see that starts off maybe doing you know one two three movies a year to going on and doing a lot more getting a lot busier in later life maybe four or five movies a year like in 2016 he did three, four, did five movies that year like you know an insane amount well, and 2018 we had one two three four five six seven eight movies you know so that's uh, like a serious made yeah Jesus. that's a serious made yeah. of work uh, well he, i think there's a reason isn't there yeah why well, he's not yeah. turning stuff down kind of in the last last couple of years yeah you do see that happen with some stars as well unfortunately Nicolas cage did have some trouble with with with, with financing uh finances and he had some tax problems as well um, he did what I often do. He bought too many castles and, <laughs> and T Rex skulls, and like, you know, f- first editions of Action Comics number number one, which was the first appearance of Superman. And he had like he was famous, a bit like Johnny Depp, I think, famous for mm. this kind of profligate spending, and just had a, a a huge problem then with with 
I don't know if it's his problem or his accountant that wasn't paying the tax. Well, he did bring him to court to sue, but I think the accountant okay. countersued. Um, but it, it, regardless of that, it certainly seems that he does have an extra, extravagant spending habit. Plus, I would imagine being a Hollywood actor and being you know getting married five times which means four divorces yeah <laughs> it's probably not going to help your finances either do you know so imagine there's a there's a lot riding on him maybe working as much as possible and mm. then you know so you have all as you mentioned there you know the 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 tax problems the marital woes the personal life stuff and then you know so that's when he started as you say uh just kind of taking anything so hollywood casting agents were kind of less inclined to offer him roles that would have been maybe he you know shown off the chops better better for him that kind of thing um and then obviously the the internet uh went into overdrive in terms of the memes and everything else until quite recently i would say maybe 2018 2019 when he's found kind of another rebirth, this time in experimental art house movies with a kind of a supernatural feel. Like, um, I haven't seen it, but people are uh, quite kind and quite, uh, in terms of reviews, in ter- um, uh, for a film called Colour Out of Space, that received great reviews. So maybe we are seeing a recajan instance. Oh, Recaj- yeah, is that a word? Uh, no, I don't think... A recajan... Reconnaissance is Matthew McConaughey, so recajan instance. I think, and I'm going to be talking about A Colour Out of Space because I hadn't seen it, so yeah. it's, one of, it's spoilers, it's my 1001 film to, to talk about. I think... I, I know what you're saying and it would be great to think now that he's being a bit more I think it's just if you throw enough stuff at the wall some of it's going to be okay. good <laughs> especially if he is and I think he is leaning into this idea of Nicolas Cage as a persona as opposed to mm. you know if you get him in the, in the movie you're people expect X, Y and Z you know and it's mm. whether or not the film itself is going to to work around that you know so um I do think as well at this stage in his career I, I don't know how I see him transitioning into an older actor because I think the days of him being um, a leading man uh, in an action movie particularly like the likes of 97, 98, 99 where you're saying like you know Con Air, Face Off, Snake Eyes, Gone in 60 Seconds I think that part of his his career is probably over we might have seen um you know a, maybe a soft version of that with the likes of drive angry and stuff like that recently but i don't think but we're he... still like like this year there's a movie called willie's wonderland where he yeah. literally like he is the he's the action guy in that oh for fuck's you know? sake so he's still taking those those parts he's in one called jujitsu as well which i've not oh, seen oh Derek was te- telling me about this yeah it, it sounds mad i saw a little bit of it there he showed me like bit of a preview of it and i was like what is this as a side note i think he is like a really into jiu-jitsu as well <laughs> oh okay I think he's like a black belt or something <laughs> like that. so maybe that's colored his decision but, but I mean, I, I think what he, look, if I was his agent, right, and look, I don't want to be his agent because that sounds like the worst job ever. Um, <laughs> he did a really, really good film that I, I've only seen recently in 2013 called Joe. I was going to bring it, that up. Yeah, yes. It's a real, it's a low budget kind of movie about a guy. He, he has a job on a, um, he's a part of a group who 
they're employed by the state to kill these trees because the land is going to be rezoned for whatever and he takes a young man under his wing and it's a it's an indie it's a kind of real but it still has kind of Nicholas Cagey bits in it if you like mm. and I'd be saying to him we need a bit more of that and a little less of jujitsu and yeah. you know <laughs> and movies where you punch you know animatronic bears who play music which is what Willy's Wonderland is about <laughs> and wasn't there another movie as well is it called Mandy or something that was like Mandy is like well. I was nearly I, I haven't seen that either and yeah. that is like I literally flipped a coin to to between that and uh, Colour Out of Space and that sounds bonkers which in a good way yeah. you know we want bonkers in a good way Nicolas Cage but we mm. also want really good kind of here's here's a kind of aspect of your of your career and character that you will explore something a little less bonkers i guess less cagey yeah less cagey maybe yeah, yeah. and it's not like get out of the cage not, it's not like he's not capable of doing it as well no this is the thing yeah yeah countless performances where he as you said uh adaptation is a, a leaving las vegas you know there's movies where it shows that he can really step up to the mark when he wants to yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's dive into this because we've all selected a movie um, from his ever expanding repertoire of movies um, and go back to the early days then with yourself, Ross. Yours is 1989, isn't it? Yeah, it was actually released in, in 88 in the States, but um, we're kind of kicking it off with the crazy. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> and, um, it, you, you know, there's a lot to Nicolas Cage, the crazy guys so i really really wanted to go down the rabbit hole and one of my favorite things to do and i mean one of my favorite things ever is to check out a youtube video which i watch um maybe about eight or nine times a year <laughs> anytime i'm feeling a little bit okay, down. I'm, I'm slightly worried about what what this is going to involve yeah it's, it's like a four and a half minute <laughs> video and it's just called nicholas cage losing his shit oh i got lost in that rabbit hole today uh, yeah. on youtube there's so many that you can get lost down on by the way <laughs> on YouTube, when you google, just... google or you search for nicholas cage uh, yeah it's great it's brilliant it's fantastic and look it does exactly what it says on the tin it has loads of clips of him throughout his career and it's just nicholas cage being the most nicholas cage ever whether it's like a shouting obscenities at the top of his voice trashing rooms threatening people covering him in, himself in paint wearing a bear suit and punching women or you know <laughs> having a quasi-sexual temper tantrum it's it's all in there uh, it really has um it really has a lot uh, you know what in fact let's just play a short clip Sinead you're editing this so literally any part of this okay. video will do <laughs> fuck fuck this fucker fuck fuck you fuck you fuck you Mexico! Horseshit. Hi, fucking yeah! You ever been dragged to the sidewalk and beat until you pissed blood? No! Fuck you! Fuck! So yeah, as I said, I have to watch that just to get through the year. I have to watch that on, on a number of different times. Um, usually around Christmas, I'll give it two goals, two spins. But um, <laughs> it's a tough but, time of year, Christmas. You know, always, I can understand yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, look, I, I've seen a lot of movies with Nicolas Cage acting absolutely balls to the wall, insane. But I felt like splashing. I felt like I was splashing around in the shallow end, and um, I just had to go deeper. And I decided to look up lists of 
the craziest or the most Nicolas Cage Nicolas Cage performances. And there's some there's some absolutely brilliant ones on there. Like there's the likes of uh, Bad Lieutenant, and you have um, uh, Wild at Heart, and you have Deadfall as well. Which I've I've seen them and and they are crazy, but I wanted to go for one I hadn't seen before. Sorry, Deadfall. What? Oh, Dead. I've seen that. Deadfall. He has a small role in that, and it was actually a movie that was directed by oh I think it's his cousin, but it's Christopher Coppola is the name of the director. That's not. He doesn't have a like a mustache and a false nose and that. He he does. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe I I have seen. And he has like yeah yeah he's he's kind of a he's not the main role in the movie but he's Mm. just this coked up weirdo. (laughs) (laughs) It just it's just Nicolas Cage plays it to perfection um and he has this really weird voice in it um it's one i haven't seen in a few years um but i remember really I just being think yeah. they made a sequel to it he, he revisited did. that <laughs> character <laughs> uh, of course i don't remember did. what it's called it's it's um but he's he's the same character like there's a whole cinematic universe about this eddie character <laughs> well that is one i will have to wow. see because yeah. i remember him just being the, the best part of that movie um, I'll have to watch that more sober. <laughs> it's uh, got a real the the sequel has a real forgettable name. Uh, if I think of it, I'll tell you. Yeah, it might be hard to remember though. Um, but yeah, look, I've seen kind of those before. Um, but a film that was on a, a, you know a top at a lot of the lists and that I hadn't seen was Vampire's Kiss uh, from nineteen eighty eight. Um, and look i hadn't seen the movie but i think anyone even if you haven't seen this movie or even heard of it you'll recognize some of the parts in it you will have definitely seen the um you don't say meme which is basically um nicholas cage with his eyes as wide open as they can leaning back with his mouth kind of a jar as well and people use that as a you know a, a meme all the time on the internet this oh something really obvious you throw them a Nicolas Cage, you don't say meme. But uh, it's actually, <laughs> it's a screenshot from this movie. Uh, and as well as that, this has a lot of kind of famous Nicolas Cage lines, especially the, the crazier ones. Like, you'll definitely have heard his hi- iconic alphabet rundown before, and that's from Vampire's <laughs> Kiss. Have a listen to this. How could somebody misfile something? What could be easier? It's all alphabetical. You just put it in the right file, according to alphabetical order. You know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z! That's all you have to do! A, B, C, D, E, F, G! It's unbelievable. So, I think this might be the best contender for Cage being at his most cagiest, craziest, glorious best. So to let you know what Vampire's Kiss is about, it's a kind of black, surreal comedy. Nicholas Cage is playing Peter Lowe. He's a, a literary agent with a, with a large publishing company in, in Manhattan. And he's a kind of rich, yuppie corporate type. Uh, and he has this like really grating american accent but we see we see a lot of movies about maybe new yorkers at that time um you know they're the kind of people who were targeted in brett easton ellis's 
uh, book American Psycho, which was released in 1991, a couple of years after this movie came out. But there's definitely similarities between the character of Peter Lowe and Patrick Bateman. Definitely the, the yuppie culture of the late 80s is definitely getting kind of sent up here uh, as well so peter lowe he spends all his days seemingly most of his day or all his time at work um not really looking like he's doing that much work to be honest with you Uh, and after that he spends all his nights club hopping going from place to place tending to try to pick up women for one night stands the only other person i suppose besides the office and these um interactions and clubs we see him talking to is a psychiatrist who he he visits on a regular basis and she actually featured in 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 the clip we just listened to there which is you know if you're trying to i don't know (laughs) it seems like a psychiatrist section you straight away as soon as you do that but anyway um his life begins to spin out of control after a one-night stand in, in which he's he's bitten by a woman and he becomes convinced he's going to turn into a vampire. Before, a couple of nights previously, in another one-night stand, a bat flew into his apartment and he found himself, as he described it as a psychiatrist, maybe a little bit sexually excited by it. So um, so the rest of the movie just follows his exploits as he becomes kind of more vampirish. He's, he's getting warier of the sun. He's wearing sunglasses a lot more. Um, he starts to lose his mind a little bit. He trashes his apartment. He kind of makes a makeshift coffin out of an overturned sofa bed. And <laughs> he's just kind of sleeping under there. Um, but, you know, throughout the movie, the, the, the thing that... The thing i don't know the one of the main things he does in the movie is he just kind of bullies and and mentally tortures his, his poor long-suffering assistant alva um he he's make he's demanding she work late all the time when she calls in sick he gets a cab out to her house pretends to be nice to back, get her back into work and then begins bullying her again he shouts at her in the office he threatens her he chases her into the ladies room and none of this seems to get him fired or in trouble or any of that in fact he is laughing with his superiors at one stage uh, about his situation with his assistant. Really just shocking stuff. Um, but, um, and the reason why he, he's picking on her, I'm sure he's just picking on her because he's a he's a prick, but he, he's also picking on her because he's forcing her to look for a misplaced f- file for a client. And even though the client has rang him and said, look, there's no rush with the file. It's no big deal. Whenever you get it, it's fine. Send it on to me he's cage is really making his assistant run through the gauntlet trying to find he's like do you realize what will happen if you don't find that file now we're going to lose him we're going to lose that and you're going to lose your job and no need for it at all um but as the movie goes on then you know we're we're led to question maybe more things about what we see on screen like what exactly is real what's going on in nicholas cage's head and all that sort of stuff um so the movie is really really surreal it, it's obviously made as a comedy because there's so many f- hilarious moments in there that you know it's a black it's a black dark comedy so it's very much on purpose trying to be funny uh, as well as surreal but it was an odd choice for Nicolas cage to make at the time because as we said like 1988 was the start of his career i think his first role was the start of the 80s 82 maybe in, in fast times at Ridgemont high um and Nicholas Cage at the time he he had a fairly successful run of movies in the preceding years he did Peggy, Peggy Sue got married in 1986 and was starting to make a name for himself as a kind of leading actor and um, because the year previously in 87 he starred in both 
Raising Arizona and Moonstruck, which are, you know, two of his massive, massive movies. And that was the year before he did Vampire's Kiss, which is just a complete oddity. It was never going to be a success. Uh, Nicolas Cage said he, he got a lot of pressure at the time from his agent not to star in the movie. And apparently, uh, according to um, uh, the commentary on, 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 on the movie, he said that he, he did walk away from it for a little bit. But he thankfully uh, came to his senses in a movie about losing your shit and came back and starred in it. Um, so the, the movie was written by Joseph Minion, who you mostly know for writing the Martin Scorsese movie uh, from 1985, After Hours. But apparently Vampire's Kiss was written during a time when Joseph Minion, the writer, was in a dysfunctional relationship with his girlfriend. And apparently some of the movie kind of reflects that, which is, especially if you've watched the movie, really troubling <laughs> so oh yeah i i'd advise i i think they've split split up i'd advise them to stay as far apart from each other as they possibly could uh, i think if it, they if they if they're not together now was it 30 years ago I yeah they probably you've not and, mentioned the most famous thing that i know about this movie and i saw uh, it on vhs but like uh, this is the big thing everybody always talks about i what what, what what's the thing you're referring to no oh, well, the fact that he eats a cockroach Oh yes, yeah. and it, it was really a stylistic. An actual cockroach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh god. Yeah. Nice. And he he was asked to eat something. Um, oh, it was something else. He was made. He he was asked to eat, and he just thought it wouldn't shock audiences enough, so he went ahead and had a cockroach. Uh, the thing about that though is, well, you wouldn't be able to do it anymore. Do you know, you wouldn't get away with that. <laughs> yeah, because of all the co- cockroach rights, people yeah. no, saying well, cruelty was, to cockroaches. I, I did see a movie. I think there was there was a, a, a backlash about him doing he, it. Yeah, yeah, there was a movie before. I think that wanted to star Grubs in their movie, but they couldn't have uh, been put onto a fish hook or something like that. They had to wait for the grub to die, and then they had to find another way to move it around. So, like animal protection rights in movies have got much more stringent over the years so I wouldn't be surprised if you weren't allowed to eat a live cockroach mm. in a movie these days but it's, you know, I mean, it's weird for you to hear you say because I think this is a really early example of let's call it cuckoo cage okay yeah <laughs> but for to hear you say he wasn't sure about it but then to go so all in yeah in it he really in put the his performance chips on the table didn't he yeah 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 I guess maybe he just went look if I'm going to do it I'm going to do it 110%. See, I think that's what he does with everything. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I think he goes, if I'm going to do this, I'm 110% in it and this is what you're going to get from me kind of thing, you know? Although then you see a film like Knowing and you're like, maybe he's just phoning that one in. Do you know? (laughs) I haven't actually seen that one. Yeah, I mean, I've seen, I I mixed that up with the other one, Philip K. Dick one, um, where you can um, see into the future for, but it's only like for like a minute or something. I, I can't remember. Anything. I mean, there's, there's a lot of forgettable ones. Mm. Um, but it's funny because after this, he did Wild at Heart. Like, mm. I, th- I think it was yeah. kind of like in within the year. And that's another kind of, it's, it's veering further away from, let's say, Raising Arizona and Moonstruck and Peggy Sue Got Married mm. from the early part. And it's go- kind of going that way, isn't it? Towards, yeah. you know, Cuckoo Cage. <laughs> yeah, well, it'd be hard to imagine him. Um, and I know David Lynch probably has a very unusual way of selecting actors, but I can imagine David Lynch saw Vampire's Kiss and was like, 
That's my, my guy. guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's always had a, like, and he's obsessed as well. Apart from Superman, he's obsessed with Elvis. He's always yes. had a kind of a married Elvis. Daughter. Daughter. Only for 108 um, days, though. I know, but it still counts. Still counts. Um, but, you know, and the the character in Wild at Heart, Sailor Ripley, is very kind of like he's got the snakeskin jacket. He's got the boots. He's very early Elvis. You know what I mean? Mm. The, the, yeah. So I, I can see him just coming into the audition if he was wearing that that. Uh, that wardrobe and David Lynch going yep that's my that's my guy done let's, and let's done. do it yeah done and mm. done um, what did you have you have you guys seen this movie I haven't I have years and years ago back in the glory mm. days of video library I could tell you nothing about it except for that cockroach thing yeah and I think I would be interested in seeing it again because I I think I expected a kind of a wacky there was a video I rented regularly, like every two months, called My Best Friend is a Vampire, mm. which is a really fun uh, movie about uh, a guy, a teenage guy. It's a, it's a kind of a teen comedy about a guy who gets turned into a vampire. And Vampire's Kiss, I thought, was going to be like that. And I think <laughs> it's more like, as you were saying, Ross, I think it's more like American Psycho Vampire. <laughs> Yes, you know. And so I it probably does have that vibe to it, though, doesn't yeah, it? Really, yeah, yeah. Really I, I probably it. was not, and I was like, I don't. This, I don't get what's going on. Why is he talking mm. in that funny accent? What's going on? So, <laughs> um, I might give it a give it a. Would you? I mean, did you enjoy it? Would you recommend it? Oh yeah, I absolutely really, I absolutely loved it. I really enjoyed it. I'd heard a lot of the quotes in it before, right. and there's a lot of very funny quotes that and funny moments in it that you might have seen other places or seen on the internet or I mean that that. So there's a lot of oh, that's where that's from. Cool. Right. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really really funny. Um, it was like a comedy that wasn't afraid to just be really surreal and weird and unusual. Um, and you know Cage was ac accused of overacting in this and of course he does he, he acts absolutely ridiculous but it's just brilliant insane dark and hilarious and there's a couple of things like from the set which like Nicolas Cage just being Nicolas Cage there's a couple of scenes where he's running around the streets in New York screaming I'm a vampire I'm a vampire I'm a vampire <laughs> and apparently they were and just like th alright we'll just film this on the street actual footage that they just yeah. caught wasn't and even him going around, <laughs> him going around with a, a, a like a stake well he made a stake out by an old bit of timber or something like that and him going around asking people to stab him in the heart with it because he's a vampire <laughs> you know just like bizarre things it's like a jackass sketch or something in there but i will say that my my favorite my absolute favorite scene in the movie made me laugh so well before i tell you that also there is like an underlying message i think in this film about alienation and loneliness and all that sort of shite so there is a there is a bit of um <laughs> Do you know, it, it seemed to me like there is it does it did have something to say, um. But it, I was laughing so much that there's one scene where he he's convinced he's a vampire and he he knows his incisors aren't growing, so he goes into like a you know a horror costume shop or whatever and he goes up and he asks the man, "Have you got any vampire teeth?" And he goes, "Yes, we have these ones. They're you know made of glass. Look, aren't they fantastic? They're great quality. Look at those." And he's like, "Yes, how much for those?" And he goes they're like 19.99 and he looks in his wallet and he only has like five dollars and the man goes well we also have these plastic ones that you know you had as a kid and he buys those and puts them in his mouth and goes around <laughs> chasing people and it sounds really silly and it is really incredibly silly but as a guy who thinks he's a vampire buying 
plastic kids vampire teeth to Love go that. around and actually suck blood like completely off the wall crazy stuff but it's you can't you can't watch this movie i don't think and not even chuckle to yourself or enjoy it um somewhat and like i know we are kind of shining a light on Nicolas Cage crazy moments and um, some people call that the cage rage because there's plenty of clips of him screaming his head off but he he was kind of saying that he's a little bit frustrated with those kind of comparisons and, and they think they're a little bit unfair to him but also more importantly he would probably say um, unfair to the directors of his films or people who choose him to be in his movies and he was actually um, being interviewed by IndieWire to promote um, Mandy which is a film he mentioned a little, a little bit earlier on and he said it's really frustrating for the director uh, Panos uh, Cosmatos who has made what I consider a very lyrical internal and poetic piece of art to have this cage raged thing slammed all over his movie the internet has kind of the internet has kind of done the movie a disservice so it seems like the um you know this whole image that people now associate with him he isn't necessarily a fan of it because he thinks it's going to overshadow his work and maybe affect directors that might not be as brave as panos cosmatos in 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 hiring him for roles Mm. yeah Yeah. i don't know if i buy it i don't think you get (laughs) to cover yourself in blood if you look for any stills of mandy i know he's covered in blood and holding an axe and saying well you know it's a lyrical it's a very lyrical poetic film if you want to watch it (laughs) and similarly with with the color out of space um i think that you know i think he's a little bit more savvy than that i think he knows that that's at certainly at this point in his career that this is what people want or certainly if he does it yeah. well and it's just how do you um and you know he can this is what i'm saying he, he should not that he should i'm not going to tell him what he i'm sure he's quite happy with what his career is but he he has the aptitude or the ability to do those smaller gentle maybe is not the word but those indie parts like Joe that Mm. you know but he ends up it's always him with an axe and covered in blood you know (laughs) even when I I saw him recently I was kind of a little bit disappointed when I I saw him recently presenting a show on on Netflix about swearing history of swearing I think Ireland tried to copy a bit of a version of that with Ireland O'Hanlon on RTE but I remember thinking Oh, when I saw him as a guest, it was just like, okay, I hope he doesn't become like a David Hasselhoff or even like a Snoop Dogg who's kind of going that direction, kind of character of yeah. himself, do you know? Yeah. And I but think, Snoop just does it so well, man. Come on. I don't just know. Eat. I'm kind of getting... <laughs> just I don't eat. want to yeah. see Nicolas Cage going, did somebody say just eat? I can't. I, I do. I actually do. <laughs> I feel I really like do. Nicholas Cage would be. Did someone say just eat? And you pull a pigeon out of his jacket and you know, <laughs> like, let's eat. <laughs> yeah, I'm all for that. Go with the caricature. Absolutely. So, where I'm going then is kind of, I don't know. What are we going to call this? Because you know, it's it's obviously post Vampire's Kiss, my pick. Um, at this stage, he has an Academy Award, Golden Globe. Screen Actors Guild Award for leaving Las Vegas. Um, then he, so he can kind of maybe do anything. I want to say at that time, you know, it's he's he's getting the award acclaim and all of that. Uh, but he moves into the mainstream, and 
I think at this time, uh, so you, he, it's after The Rock, which I think we all love, don't we? Um, and it's yeah, the same yeah. year. I mean, like as, he's, as, he's kind of he's going in the mainstream. It's like this yeah. is the third of three movies. Kind yeah, of really, uh, yeah. And, the, and the same year he does Con Air, which of course everybody loves as well. But this one, right? All I'm just going to say to you is just suspend your disbelief, right? Just leave the disbelief at home, maybe. <laughs> Have it well and truly suspended for this movie. I right? don't know what you're talking about. This is a documentary. <laughs> this film. It is. Um, it's a true crime story. A true crime story that I will watch like again and again and again. Uh, but like again, just to reference my husband, he absolutely fucking hates it. Like and he's like, oh. when this is on, it's just he's gone. He's out the door. But I love it. Uh, it is 1997's Face Off, and this oh, is yes. the third English language language feature from uh, John Woo. Never going to win awards, right? But it features some of the best action known to man, known to cinema. Mm. Um, I, I think you're being very unfair there now because a little bit behind the scenes you were going oh do, I'm, I'm going to pick this one do people hate this film I think it's just Derek who hates it no this there's a, a lot classic. of hate there's no, a lot of hate this is a this. classic and be. anybody who hates it is wrong they are <laughs> they absolutely are wrong, wrong. Yeah. they are wrong I wouldn't want to be so judgmental and uh, you know but absolutely agree with Niall on that yeah, yeah. yeah. no I'm, I'm and it I'm, has I'm, I, I would argue it has fantastic acting as well as action Yes, especially because, from Nicolas yeah. Cage. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they've got psychological issues, you know, mm. uh, going on. Yeah, philosophical stuff like you know identity duality of life. Duality. Yeah. It's a lyrical poem <laughs> put to cinema screens. <laughs> but yes, there there is there is a good bit of hate for this movie out there. Uh, but I'm glad we're on the same page with this. But we do have you know so many explosions and amazing stunts and crazy stunts in this as well. For those who like the the switch off your brain action kind of stuff right um so what is it about well we have sean archer played by john travolta he is a dedicated federal officer uh, but he's obsessed like most you know officers of the law he's obsessed with bringing down one particular mastermind criminal caster troy played by nicholas cage and it's kind of blinded him to all other kind of concerns that he should be focusing his attention on but with due cause right because six years into in the past troy attempted uh, to kill sean archer and it all went wrong because um archer's young son was killed and since then this thirst for revenge has driven uh, the fbi agent to pursue troy with a single-minded relentlessness that has alienated both his wife <laughs> Joan Allen. I'm sorry, what? A, what? a, a, a single-minded relentlessness. There we go. There, there we, we go. go. Um, and, and since then as well, I've never been on a merry-go-round. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've never hugged a small child. A small, a small child. child. <laughs> Out of fear of being shot by Caster Troy. Yeah. Uh, his wife, played by Joan Allen, and his teenage daughter, I think her name is Dominique Swain. They That's are just right. sort yeah. of, they're fed up with him. But anyway. Uh, when the latest confrontation between the two leaves Castor Troy in a coma, Sean Arthur is forced to undergo a face transplant. Yes, you said it right. They were so innovative in 1997. <laughs> Gonna take his face off. 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 They actually did this with a hand, you know, so in, oh, not really? that long oh, ago. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, yeah. 1999, maybe. So <laughs> yeah. it's not that, you know, far-fetched. Documentary. Uh, documentary, yeah. He's forced to undergo this face transplant with Troy's features so they can go undercover in a prison, interact with Troy's paranoid brother 
Uh, Pollux, is that his name? Or is Pollux or something Pollux, like that? Pollux. Pollux. Cast, Castor and Pollux yes. are the twins of, of Greek myth. Yes. So that's where those names are coming ah, from. And learn the location of a bomb that is ticking somewhere away in LA somewhere. Um, Interestingly enough as well, they also force caster Troy to put on a serious amount of weight in the meantime <laughs> I said to dispend that disbelief come it's on it's more then. when they switch back and it goes we also gave you all of your love handles back as well. yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe you could have maybe slimmed me down a little bit because yeah. <laughs> John Travolta just keep, just... is, is not the same body shape no. as, as Nicolas Cage no 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 Whilst Sean Archer is um, masquerading as his arch nemesis, the real Troy regains consciousness. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, oh. And he hijacks face, Archer's he face. Where's, yeah. where's my face? Where's my, where's my face? Well, uh, we only have this one here in the fridge. Do you want to use this one? <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, he forces the, the surgeon to attach Archer's face to his. You know, so Nicholas Cage starts off the movie acting like the bad guy. Uh, yeah. Then he has to play the good guy uh, halfway through. So it's, you know, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot going yeah. on in terms of yeah. strength. And I think this is, this is now, we've got both cages in this yeah. one film, yes. don't we? We've yeah. got big flamboyant Nicolas Cage as Caster Troy. Mm-hmm. And we've got him then as Sean Archer, who's a lot more... Not only do you get him kind of more repressed and more kind of he's let's face it, Sean Archer is a dull character, isn't he? Mm. He but is. You also get him <clears throat> trying to be flamboyant as well. But you know, I think there's a lot of subtlety going on in this film. Yeah. I think we need to have a clip. Shane. Yes, we, we do. Clip. We do need to have a clip. Now, which one to pick is the question. <laughs> do you know what? Maybe let's have one where they're face to face. Don't they both grab each other's guns and stuff? Oh, isn't there? Yeah, there's a whole. There, there, there's a face off. Between each other. <laughs> scene. <laughs> Please, God, die. Hold it! Uh, good girl, Jen. Shut up! Honey, don't listen to him, honey. He's not your father. Hear my voice. I'm your father. Here's your eyes, Jamie. Shut him! Don't listen to him. Don't shoot. Just, just, this scumbag. This scumbag shot your brother, Jamie. Kill him! <laughs> Claude. No daughter of mine would come so wide. Dad, put the gun down. Put it down. Dad, put it down. Now we're gonna find out what's in Papa's bag. Peaches. <laughs> Say goodbye to Papa. There you go. Now, the one thing I will say, right, just the slightest of criticism on this, right? Uh, it's a little long. It is a little long. I go way. No, it could be a little bit shorter, but that's the all the more of it. All the more of it to love. Just like <laughs> a whole lot longer. This is nine hours long. I'd still love it. Uh, yeah, it, it, look, it, and, and in fairness, right, John Travolta really does relish, I think, as well, in playing the bad guy too halfway through when the swap happens. I, I think yeah. you're right. And I yeah. think, I wonder... Was there a little bit of cross contamination there? Yeah, maybe. Because if you look at Travolta's career, True. that went crazy cuckoo bananas <laughs> kind of after this as well. I mean, we could mm. do a. Tune in next week, kids. John Travolta. I do think that, you know, he was a good choice to play 
a kind of other side, uh, you know, a, a flip side to Nicolas Cage because they kind of always reminded me of each other in a sort of way that really you know, well, yeah. Do you know what you always have Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone going for roles, similar type of roles, mm. or okay. you know, Robert De Niro or Al Pacino? I always saw Nicolas Cage and and. Um, do you think it's kind of the, the the work that they were doing at the time? Do you know what I mean? I'd say they were probably up for up for a lot of the same parts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think um, that's probably what it was. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a real example of, we talked about it on one of our first season episodes about the Towering Inferno with yes. Paul Newman and Steve McQueen and about the rivalry kind of behind the scenes there that it was like counting the amount of lines and you know who had the biggest trailer and who was going to have the thing mm. I think this is a really good example where it can actually help a movie because I think mm. the two of them were so trying to up one another in their scenes I've heard rumours that you know each actor would look at the, the other actors so Nicolas Cage would look at what John Travolta Volta had filmed that day and well okay I'm going to go in I'm going to be better tomorrow you know what I mean yeah and it was just this one-upmanship and I think it it really made a, a really great movie there's going to be a sequel there is what? I saw this today I am not. too excited about this right there's this is going to be brilliant uh, and this is kind of everyone's coming back for this aren't they like yeah, like yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 yeah, that's it's happening, man. It's happening. Uh, and I'll be first in line with the tickets, that's for sure. You know, as I mentioned at the start there, you know, you've got the, the two guys pitted against each other, both trying to outact each other, as you said, Niall. But the action is unreal. This stuff, like, I mean, the in the first bit alone, you know what I mean? It's just like people shooting at each other. You know, uh, you have Nicolas Cage emerging from a car with his coat billowing in the wind. You've yeah. got Handel's Messiah when they're planting the bomb. You've got a game of chicken uh, happening as well. It's all nerve-wracking shoot, stuff. Shoot out in a jet engine. Yes. And that's like in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, man. It's class. If you're, if you're looking for an action-filled adventure thrill ride where people swap faces i mean need i say more seriously <laughs> i mean this we we talked a lot about michael bay right and i could see michael bay watching this going fantastic oh brilliant but michael bay didn't learn the great lessons of this film i think is that those those scenes are great but you can't have the entire movie like that yeah you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, you've got yeah. to kind of punctuate you gotta go i'm gonna have this fantastic scene in the first 10 minutes this scene here this scene here i'm gonna have really good actors i'm gonna let them act really well um and i'm gonna let that as opposed to what whatever it is michael bay does i'm not sure i don't yeah like i mean they you know throw in all of the you know uh chase sequences and the speed boats and crashing into piers and each other and then put in things like a high security prison where the inmates wear magnetized boots <laughs> that allow the security to keep track and put the you know it's <laughs> It's fantastic. It's just a fantastic movie. It really is. And I do think that the, the high-tech stuff is, is pretty flawlessly done. And I do think that what was good was they don't use dubbed voices, which we didn't mention, right? So they mm. don't try to kind of imitate each other's speaking voices precisely when they're in, you know, when they're pretending to be each mm. other, right? And I think that was good because that would... <laughs> Just it takes away the awkwardness daft. of it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think speech patterns and cadences. They're like, yes, they do, they do do a lot of work. I think the two actors, uh, and they're they are both in that category of they can be really good 
or they mm. can be horrific. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two of them. They really can. Uh, although there's one little uh, small poke fun at the rivalry or, you know, as, at each other. Caster Troy is Archer. He refers unhappily to Archer's ridiculous chin. <laughs> uh, in it. So there you go. That's And it's obviously... Uh, Travolta. Travolta talking about talking about Cage, yeah. So there you go. That's that's a nice little tidbit for you. But I am all on board with Face Off too. And anyone who thinks that Face Off is not a good movie is wrong. Yo, yeah. I was just who would marry think. such a person? Uh, ah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to think there with Face Off too. And spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen. It, I was like, well, sure. How can they make a second one with Nicolas Cage? Didn't he die in the first one? I was like, hold on a second. They were able to switch faces. I'm sure yeah, he cry- cryogenically frozen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter at all. <laughs> they made a copy of his face. They yeah. did. They and did it, turned, it, turns, it turned someone evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was good, Nicolas Cage, as many of us will agree. So it's time to kick it back to you, Niall, and you're focusing on the badge. The badge, Cage. Yes, I drew the short straw for this one. <laughs> um, before I talk about my pick for bad Nicolas Cage, I am contractually obliged every episode, as the regular listeners will know, to mention... Uh, comic books and superheroes. <laughs> so I wanted to very quickly fill you in. I don't know if you're aware of this, of the the never produced 1990, it would have been about 97, I think. They were really close to filming it. Tim Burton uh, movie, Superman movie, which Ooh. would have starred Nicolas Cage as the Man of Steel. And the, it was going to be called Superman Lives. And there's a lot of stuff online. You can see... Uh, costume tests you can see Nicolas Cage in the Superman costume the suit that they were going to have uh, you can see concept art that Tim Burton had written or drawn I should say how he kind of envisaged this world being and the, these characters and um, uh, Kevin Smith famously had given a, a he'd written a script a version of the script and spoken to infamous Hollywood producer John Peters about it John Peters who had produced the Batman movie from 1989 and this was this was the idea basically Warner Brothers wanted to capitalise upon the success of this this franchise and kind of looking for more superheroes that they could they could capitalise on um, the movie never happened and it is one of those great kind of what if scenarios I don't know if I want to live in a world where Nicolas Cage played Superman the idea <laughs> I think behind Tim Burton's concept was that he was going to be he was really like Clark Kent was going to be so weird and Superman was going to be so weird I don't think that although Superman is an alien which mm. means there's a certain amount of weirdness there I don't think that suits the 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 character if you like I don't think Tim Burton's a good fit for for that intellectual property I don't know because it never happened it came very close to happening and even um, Michael Keaton was going to sign on for a little cameo as oh, Bruce wow. Wayne in that wow. so I mean it could have been it could have been great it could have been a disaster I don't know well look but Michael Keaton was seen as an you know an off the wall choice was. of Batman yeah. you know in 89 yeah. so yeah you never know um, now, uh, I would have said uh, Nicolas Cage would be great as like Lex Luthor yes and oh, like yeah. he has he has been very vocal about the fact that he is dying to play any kind of a comic book character because he's a huge comic book fan in any movie that's going. Um, he would he would be a good villain. He was also been he was uh, linked to uh, the Green Goblin in the Sam Raimi Spider Man movies, and that oh. never happened as well. Now, I think Willem Dafoe was was really good, but I think Nicolas yeah. Cage would be a good bet for yeah. that. Um, there's a fantastic documentary which you can find online called The Death of Superman Lives which is about 
how close this movie came to happening and how quickly it kind of disintegrated and the whole history kind of of what happened and people like people who came on and signed on to direct and different ones there was once J.J. Abrams was going to do a version and then McGee who directed Charlie's Angels would I, I'm not sure I'd rather see Tim Burton than McGee do a Superman movie yeah. but um, it is you know and the people who are kind of connected to the parts all the way i mean as i say nick cage was there but you know you also had the likes of jim carrey who was going to play brainiac um kevin spacey who would go on then to play lex luther he was attached then very early on as well and even tim allen from home improvement at the time and the santa claus was going to be the bad guy um i don't i don't know like i say i don't know if this is this could have been good nicholas cage bad nicholas cage or genius nicholas cage i'm not sure I think he would have made a really I think he would have been able to do a fantastic version of the the geeky shy um Clark Kent, Clark Kent character mm. in a way we haven't been able to see all these other characters yeah. play him as convincingly because he well, still looks like a goddamn hero do you know what I mean Yeah, yeah and Tim he, Burton did say this is the first version of the of of the well, there hadn't really been a lot, but he said, this is the one where you will believe that somebody would look at Clark Kent and look at Superman and go, they're completely different people. Yeah. Because he I, said, Nicolas Cage is going to transform and, his physicality, if you like, in his well, performance. Well, to be, to be fair, yeah, he can definitely do that. And we've seen it in, as we mentioned, face-off and adaptation and stuff like that. You can definitely see where you'd have the chops to pull off both. Plus, he also has the physicality to pull off a superhero, which they didn't really go for in the 90s with superhero movies. If you look at like George Clooney or or Michael Keaton or anything like that, it, like Nicolas Cage is, is, is convincingly muscular well, he, to pull off had, a superhero. He, he had, if you look at the costume tests, it is the rubber suit. It yeah. is the the muscles are all the suit, but if you look mm. at him in Con Air, like you could go, yeah, could I could Super maybe Hill. see yeah. it a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he did get a chance to play Superman eventually, in and we were when we were talking about uh, this episode, I think all of his best rated movies are animated movies, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> you were talking about the Crudes, which yeah. I've not seen, Sinead. Yeah. Um, and is that good would you recommend that oh the Croods is excellent and there's a second Croods coming out as well that's uh, for people who haven't seen that uh, it's based on a prehistoric family and he plays Grug <laughs> a caveman the dad of the family and he's like all about kind of keeping them safe and staying to the cave and kind of staying to the hunting grounds that they know and they don't like anything new and then in comes Guy played by Ryan Reynolds and he has all sorts of newfangled things like he has uh, shoes like he makes shoes out of I don't know uh, leaves and stuff like that and he's uh, he's trying to show them kind of the new way and Grug doesn't like him and of course uh, Guy falls for Emma Stone's character um, the daughter Eep I think her name is um, and yeah it's brilliant it's about how they kind of have to leave the cave obviously eventually because nature is against them I think an earthquake happens or something like that and they're forced to go off on this perilous journey to find another home uh, with, with Guy but it's brilliant and he is very Nicholas Cagey he's oh, very well, like okay. super overprotective um, ridiculous like he, he, do, he goes to extreme measures to keep them safe kind of thing and it's it's very funny it's very good Oh, well, I will check that out because I, I don't know if it came out in that kind of time when it was like the only good animated movies are Pixar movies. They've got to be about how you your brain works or how the heart yeah. works or whatever. No, and this it is, just this sounds is... like it's, quite, it's a bit of fun. 
bit of crack uh, you'll go and, and and it's one of those ones yeah definitely I think it was kind of unfairly under the radar and but it was really brilliant and I'm delighted that there's a second one on it's one of those ones where you're going thank god I can bring my kids to this and I can actually enjoy it as well <laughs> ah very good and then of course he's in what, what I think is probably one of the best Spider-Man movies Into the Spider-Verse he has the, the voice of Spider-Man noir and that but he finally got to play Superman or lend his voice to Superman I should say in Teen Titans Go to the Movies which if you're between the ages of 6 and 12 you probably know about Teen Titans Go and they had a big screen um, adventure if you like called Teen, Teen Titans Go to the Movies great for kids also great for old kids like me who get every single reference to <laughs> the superheroes that they're talking about all the way through it but I'm not here to talk about Superman even though I have and fulfilled my contractual obligation <laughs> I'm here to talk about bad Nicolas Cage so gather round kids as I take you on a journey to 2006 when a director called Neil Le Butte uh, who would have been well known kind of at the time as an indie director he had had success with a uh, film called like In the Company of Men um, uh, things like that and um, he took it upon himself we often talk about reboots and remakes uh, on this show he took it upon himself to remake uh, what I think is a cult classic which is The Wicker Man from the 70s so The Wicker Man uh, from 2006 stars uh, Nicolas Cage as a motorcycle police officer Edward Malice and we first meet him in the film as he's browsing the self-help section of books on tape at a diner so this diner also sells books on tape and he's kind of looking and he picks up one up called everything's great and he's got to buy that and we, we can tell he's a nice guy because he doesn't eat a big butt gusting burger like his fellow policeman he has a nutritious salad and then he goes off on his way as a policeman to help people and he's a sensitive soul because on his way doing his duty he pulls people over and says can I see your license and what have you but also he sees a station wagon in which a little dolly falls out of the window so he goes back and he picks up the dolly and then catches up to the car and pulls them over and says here I think you dropped here I think you dropped your dolly and um, that was your best little... performance all night thank you very much <laughs> and the uh, the little girl goes thank you very much but what happens is there there is then a tragic accident basically which ends up with um, basically the people in the car getting killed and he has to take time off his job and uh, while he is taking compassionate leave because of this tragic thing that's happened he gets contacted uh, by a, he gets a letter from his ex-fiancee who's a, a lady called Willow who had left him uh, they were engaged and she left him to go to move back to where she was from which is a private island in the Pacific Northwest and in this letter she tells him that her daughter Rowan has disappeared and because he's a policeman she asks for his help basically and he, she wants him to come to the island and help to look for this missing girl so he does uh, he arrives at this island which is quite hard to get to um, and uh, he finds that what, what he finds there is this kind of um, matriarchal community a kind of a neo-pagan community if you like and he suspects that something is going on because when he asks about this missing girl Rowan he has a photograph and people go we've never seen her she doesn't exist this Willow is, is making Willow does live here but she's making up this daughter this daughter is not a real person um, so like I say it's it's often a poison chalice to decide to remake a movie I think we would all agree maybe that if you're going to remake a film you should remake a bad movie 
Yeah. You should go. Yes. You should go. This movie has a good premise, but um, but I I think that the movie is bad. So I'm gonna gonna grow on what the good premise is, if you like. So for Neil Butte to go, well, I'm going to remake this classic, The Wicker Man, a British horror movie. Uh, it's kind of the staple of folk horror from 1972, directed by Robin Hardy. I mean, it was never really going to work out. So. Although this is a case of bad Nicolas Cage, I don't know how much we can blame Nicolas Cage for it. Um, the the well, setting... two, two words, the bees. <laughs> and four words. <laughs> oh no! Hello, oh, five. Oh no, not the bees! Ah! <laughs> we haven't my even eyes, got to the bees eyes. yet. I, I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't. Oh seen come it. on now! You've both come you've both then. seen this film, then have you? Yeah. I've seen the I've seen the um the memes. classic. We've all seen, the and memes. I've seen the memes of this because I was like, okay. I'm not watching this. No. What, what is that? What is that? What is it? Oh no! Not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! You know how I feel about remakes. Come on, now. yeah, yeah. Um, so rather than a remote island in the Scottish Hebrides, uh, the action is transposed to, as I say, the Pacific Northwest of America. Um, and it starts off with Nicolas Cage actually in what I would say is quite reserved form, if you mm. like. He is playing just he, he's he's a guy. He's doing his job. He's a policeman. He wants to kind of be a better guy if you like hence him kind of looking at the self-help books um, and then this tragic thing happens and you can see that it really affects him because he's on pills and he's not back at work and then he gets this letter from his old flame and it's like oh and when he gets to the island it's it, when they meet for the first time he's thinking about about you know what might have been and stuff like that but in the way that the, the, the classic 1972 version has this um this culture clash, if you like, between you've got these these pagan islanders. They're they're sexually liberated, you know. They're all about the harvest and fertility and stuff like that. And Edward Woodward plays this chaste, deeply religious policeman who, spoiler alert, also turns out to be a virgin, and that's why he gets what happens to him happens. But Nicolas Cage in this movie and in any movie, I don't think, is neither a devout Christian or a virgin. I don't think I could believe that <laughs> Nicolas Cage has not, never had sex. Um, <clears throat> I watched this again. Like I saw, I'd seen it when it came out and I'd, I'd seen the memes and all that. And um, there is some great cinematography in it. There's some great scenery. They make the most of the island where it's set. Um, Neil Lebuch is a real interesting character like I've, I've seen um in the company of men which 1997 i think that was his big break if you like and then in the next year he had a movie called your friends and neighbors he's mostly known now i think as a playwright and he's he's had um a lot of plays that have universally kind of had this uh stigma or people have called them misogynist and i don't know watching this movie if Neil LaBouche has gone people think I'm a misogynist well wait till I show you the evil island of women where <laughs> Nicolas yeah. Cage gets stung to death um, and so I don't know how much of it is tongue in cheek or how much of it is is serious um, it is really like you, you, you've got this society like, I, like I'm saying this matriarchy they, they they explain or uh, Ellen Burstyn who's sister Summer Isle who's kind of the head honcho on this island she explains that they they came from 
from the Celtic world and they moved over to escape persecution because they wanted to live this this life that that um you know that escaped the patriarchy or patriarchal oppression if you like um but uh i it it doesn't i think there's a really interesting story there that could have been told but I think Neil Butte is not interested in that. I think he's interested in saying, look, if the women weren't charged, this is what, what would happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, I could be being unfair to him. I don't know. Um, it also, I think, is this remake is especially in the shadow of a much better... It's not really a remake, but it really hits on a lot of the beats of, of this story and the original um, version from 1972, which is Midsummer. Uh, which I mean to the mm. point where Nicolas Cage is dressed as a bear at the end and as you <laughs> rightly say and it's so funny he's dressed as a bear and he's rescuing this little girl and um, he, he, you're going to go this is ridiculous look he's dressed like a bear mm. and he's he's got this girl running through the forest to escape these people who want to kill him and then he stops and his phone rings so he takes the bear costume off but he's still wearing the bare feet. It's like he's wearing those comedy slippers that you have, you know, and he's running, trying to escape for his life, but he's still wearing the bare feet. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, I, as it goes on and the, the situation gets more and more extreme, like I say, it starts off with him kind of nicely even Nicolas Cage. As it goes on, he gets more and more unhinged which is what people want to want, want want to see, I think. And I think if he'd been up to 11 all the way, it would be a better movie. At the mo, at, I think watching it again, I was like, it's just not, it can't have its cake and eat it. You can't, you can't go, this is a nice guy, blah, blah, blah. And then when you see him punch out women <laughs> and round kick that. women. Yeah, well, to uh, be fair, at that stage, he was kind of right he, to round kick. He, he, he should round kick I'm not going to get in. I'm, look, this podcast does not advocate <laughs> round kicking women. Unless uh, you're on an island where they're no, trying to kill you. Ross, in which I, case... am not, I am not going to be led by you. I am <laughs> to say there is maybe no actual, you know, uh, you know, thing where it's okay to red kick a woman. If um, you are but... stuck on an island where you're going to be <laughs> burned alive, he doesn't know it at that it's... stage. He doesn't know he's going to be burned alive at that. All stage. right. Well, in that case, wait until you're certain. <laughs> but <laughs> you know? is it not something to do with like that? The island kind of makes him go a little bit cuckoo as well. No, is that not part uh, of it? I don't know. I think he's having he's having trouble all the way through. <laughs> now, I I I think Neil Lebute doesn't help. Neil Butte doesn't go. There's two sides to this story. Neil Butte says these women be crazy, cray cray. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, but I, I, I would say it's like the fact that he's dressed as a bear, and in Midsummer you've got a very similar main character played by Jack Rayner, who's not at all as sympathetic as Nicholas mm. Cage is, but he ends up having a very similar face, and he ends up dressed as a bear as well. And so it I think that was, was ridiculous. Really no, but I, I think I mean? that is just Ari Aster, the the director, who just went, and I think it must be a sly nod to this version. I mean, he must it be has going, to be, yeah, because I mean, how many times do you have people dressed up as bears? <laughs> Not more. Ever. They should happen more often. <laughs> it should happen more often. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's I I if I was there. I would have said, okay, if this is what you want to do, Neil Butte, then let loose, let Nicolas Cage go loose from day day one, 
really. And there are some real funny bits. Well, I say funny where you kind of go, he really wants to make this a comedy. Nicholas does. Mm-hmm. He wants like he, he goes to the he like when he's checking in to the motel and or it's not the motel. It's the guest house, I guess. And um, it's just like he's got really <coughs> kind of funny lines and he's delivering them in a funny way. And it's like, is this the same guy who was traumatized by the, the roadside accident that he saw <laughs> 20 minutes ago? And is this the same guy who we're going to see traumatized by a different thing later on? But uh, yeah, this is this is a bad example of Nicolas Cage, the Wicker Man from 2006. Send him up in flames, burn him. I would say it's still <laughs> worth a watch, though, because it's, as no. you said, there is, you know, there's... There's a couple of memorable moments in it, even if it's how bad the acting and how just search for the you know who else I Don't didn't subject re- yourself to it. I didn't realize who else was in this until the very end. Do you remember the very end scene of this film? No, vaguely. Okay, so anybody who doesn't like, I think Sinead has kind of given away what happens there yeah. to Nicholas, right? But then there's a there's a title card that says six months later, and what happens is you're in a bar in. I think San Francisco probably um, and you've got two guys who are out cruising for some ladies and they end up hooking up with two of the ladies from the island the idea being that these ladies are going to end up what happened to Nicolas Cage is going to end up happening to do these two guys and one of them is a, a young James Franco and I was watching this what? going I would watch James Franco get burned alive <laughs> I just feel like Nicholas Cage tries to he's not sleazy enough do you know what I mean James Franco would be like, yeah, if this happened to James Franco I'd be like yeah you kind of deserved it dude you kind of yeah. deserved it <laughs> I mustn't have seen that when you said it was kind of after like in the, I was expecting Samuel L. Jackson to turn up and be like <laughs> put together a team I'm, I'm making a team and you're the wicker man Oh, wow. that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Do you think Nicolas Cage yeah. thought it was a superhero movie and just signed on? Anything with man. At yeah, the end. he probably did. The, the weatherman. Yeah, I'll do that. The wicker <laughs> man. Yeah. Oh, man, matchstick men. That's like a whole team. I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, so I think, Niall, for your sins, you are being blasted by a hail of bullets because it's a Nicolas Cage movie uh, with a helicopter flying into. I don't know, some sort of explosion as well in the thousand and one movies, are you? I'm I'm being blasted by an asteroid from outer space. Yeah, yeah. One thousand and one films to see before we kill you. So, um, I know people are probably tired of me talking, but um, it's my turn for 1001 Films. And as I alluded to earlier on, there were two movies that came out recently uh, starring Nick Cage um, that I had not seen and were interested in in looking at for for this. One of them was Mandy, which I didn't watch, but the other one was Colour Out of Space from 2019. And the reason I chose this one over... Mandy was because it's directed by a director called Richard Stanley who people would remember from the um the the version from I think it's the 90s the late 90s of the island of Dr Moreau uh, which he was very abruptly fired from he's a South African director um and in the middle of filming this film this movie with uh, Marlon Brando was in it and um Val Kilmer he was fired and replaced and then uh, he basically stayed around where it was being filmed and um, disguised himself as an extra 
and there was a, a documentary made about you know the the making of this film which turned into a huge disaster a lot of it due to the fact that Marlon Brando was just going off as nut really um, but that's what made me want to watch The Colour Out of Space and sorry I miscalled it there it's not called The Colour Out of Space it's called Colour Out of Space but it is based on a a novel by H.P. Lovecraft which is called The Colour Out of Space I don't know why they dropped the the but for people who don't know H.P. Lovecraft in the early 20th century he's famous he's a, a bit like H.G. Wells a little bit but his his oeuvre was a bit more cosmic horror and madness and uh, the idea of you know um, this great god he's well known for the, this god old god Cthulhu that these elder gods that lurk on the periphery of, of our understanding and even to look at them would drive people mad Um the the unfortunate thing about H.P. Lovecraft, he was also a huge racist. So, wow. um, if you go into if you read any of his books, there's always a little bit of, you know, overt racism there. So I would say take him with a with a grain of salt. Two fantastic uh, adaptations of his work, Reanimator and From Beyond, both starring Jeffrey Coombs, who's a really really good actor. Really low budget. Um late 80s um, horror movies but really body horror and that's what you get a lot of in this movie and as I say this is the latest addition to what I mean there's a whole genre that people talk about called Lovecraftian horror um, is this one Richard Stanley's Colour Out, Out of Space um, and uh, it's been 25 years since Richard Stanley has directed anything and like I say after him being unceremoniously uh, fired from the island of Dr. Moreau. So this follows a family called the Gardeners. And the Gardeners, they live on a very nice uh, secluded farm in Massachusetts. We have uh, the father, Nathan Gardner, played by Nick Cage. Uh, the mother, Teresa, played by Jolie Richardson. And two children, or sorry, three children, I should say. Lavinia, uh, played by Madeline Arthur. Benny, played by Brendan Mayer. And Jack, played by Julian Hilliard. And they have moved back to Nathan's father's family farm if you like to get away from city life um to get just kind of to take things easier because um the mother Teresa has been diagnosed with cancer so they just want to kind of take things back a gear if you like the kids are not really happy with that the first 20 or I'd say 25 minutes of this film is about them kind of being unhappy living in in rural secu seclusion but apart from that like it's a fairly idyllic life um, you get kind of a lot of family arguments as you would you know between the teenagers and their parents um, Nicholas Cage's uh, big money making idea or what he's moved back to the farm to do he's going to farm alpacas so you've got a lot of alpaca action if you like that everything's a, a really alpaction yeah <laughs> everything is really like the first 20 minutes of the film is like I'd like I would like to go there <laughs> it looks like a lovely place um, but unfortunately their lives are flipped upside down when a meteor crashes into their farm. And um, what happens is that it unleashes, first of all, this uh, colour that has no name. And not to talk too much about the original story, but it's it's quite different to this. The, the original story was obviously H.P. Lovecraft would have written it kind of around the turn of the, the 19th century. And this has been updated to modern times. But... Um, what he wanted to do was talk about alien life in a in a way that had never been done before or to really truly make 
an, an alien intelligence completely different from anything that had been seen before. So this meteor, when it lands, it unleashes this colour that has no name. It's it's shown in the movie as a kind of a shade between pink and purple. But what happens is it seeps into the land and it, it kind of starts to transform not only the landscape, but everybody who lives in it and all of the vegetation and the plants that go around it. The grass starts to turn pink. Uh, the animals that live around there, they start to twist into horrific shapes. And slowly the family... Nicholas Cage, um, to uh, Jolie Richardson and the three children, they begin mostly Nicholas Cage, I should say, begin a collective descent into madness. Um, like I say, there's been a lot of adaptations of Lovecraft's work. Um, it often goes for the big Cthulhu monster with tentacles and stuff like that. Um, and it never really can live up to, I think, what um you imagine when you read what Lovecraft had, had written. Um, but what we get here is something that is not really about a big monster, but rather about this um, infection that, first of all, infects the land and then infects the plants and then infects the animals and then infects the people. Um, there are really horrific moments. Like There were bits of this, I think, that are on par with say something like the thing john carpenter's the thing i don't want to give too much away because i would if if you enjoy body horror then you would enjoy this movie and if you enjoy nicholas cage going cuckoo then you'll enjoy this movie um but um it, it is uh it's perfect for for nick cage especially kind of nick cage at this point in his career and he starts off as a kind of a regular kind of I say semi-regular. You you get hints about the fact maybe he drinks too much and he's the pressure of his wife having cancer and stuff like that. And, you know, you, that, that that's kind of wearing him down a little bit. But by, I'd say, an hour into this film, he's going mad about tomatoes. Like, he's growing these tomatoes and he picks them and he eats them and they taste terrible. And he just has this scene, which is pure Nicolas Cage, going, I can't do anything right! And it, you're watching it going, okay, man, calm down. It's just tomatoes. And that's before, like, he's not really been infected by whatever this alien present is, presence is, if you like. Um, like, he spends, like, he spends this movie in a, like, what I would say is a Ross cosplay. So he's got a, a flannel <laughs> shirt on, you know, got a T-shirt, jeans, and he's a kind yeah, of a nice pants. guy. Could be me. He, he, yeah, that's true. But by the end of it, he is, like I say, covered in blood, holding an axe. He's, he's done things that he can never come back from. So he's more of a Nile uh, cosplay at the end. He's more like <laughs> me at the end, yeah. And I think it really... It, 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 I, I wouldn't say it's funny because I found a lot of it quite... It's on Amazon Prime. So if you have Amazon Prime, I would say... I know you won't, Sinead, because you don't like horror movies. <laughs> I won't. But... Um, <laughs> You know, for people who do have Amazon Prime, it's definitely worth looking at. There are bits that will make you kind of laugh. Like, they're more like wishy one-liners and then you go, oh my God, what, what? And it's mostly the teenage daughter, Lavinia, who is, uh, you know, she, there's as much a focus on her, I think, as there is on, on any of the the family. Um, But it is, you know, like I say, it's got, it's quite low budget, but I think all of the visual effects are really good. Um, And it does have that real... I not really seen um effects like this or this color do you know what i mean that infects everything 
Um, so I would absolutely recommend it. Uh, Color Out of Space from 2019. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Definitely going to give that a watch after that. Absolutely. Yep. So all that's left to do is murder or improve a scene, whichever way you want to look at it tonight. (laughs) It's time to murder a scene. We can't talk about Nicolas Cage and his good, bad, crazy, middling, award-winning career (laughs) without mentioning a classic in his repertoire of movies, um, which is, of course, Con Air. So, um, for people that haven't seen this movie, I'm going to very, very uh, quickly summarise it here. But um, we have a just-paroled army ranger named Cameron Poe, played by Nicolas Cage. and Put the bunny back in the box. Yeah, heading back to his wife. <laughs> but he Put must fly home. Back in the box. But he, so he has to fly home aboard a prison transport flight dubbed Jailbird with some of the worst criminals living uh, as passengers on it. Um, so you've got uh, Diamond Dog, uh, Baby O and genius serial killer Sirius. Is there Cyrus or Sirius? Cyrus. 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 Cyrus, Cyrus the virus. What am I saying? Cyrus the virus. Uh, Grisham, uh, who is unleashed a violent escape plot in mid-flight. Cameron Poe is secretly working with US Marshal Vince Larkin to try and foil this plan. And this is, how far into the movie are we in, in, at this scene actually? About halfway? Near, near, three quarters way. Yeah, near, near, the, near, near enough the end. So Vince Larkin, played by John Cusack, and uh, Cameron Poe, played by Nicolas Cage, come face to face. And you haven't mentioned national treasure Colin Meany. Who's also yes. in this film? Oh yeah, as a, I forgot. As, as I don't know what kind of an agent. What is is he FBI agent or something? But he's yes, great. Like, he's great. And he, he, he f's and blinds as well. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. I totally forgot about him. And well, there's loads of great actors. That's it. That's in this movie. Um, so here is a little taster of that meeting. You're Cameron Poe. That's right. I'm Larkin. Hello, Larkin. I got your message. Where are the troops? They'll be here. They'll be here. Uh-huh. In a minute. Listen, Poe. Can I lower this? Go ahead. You're gonna lower yours? Sorry, boss. But there's only two men I trust. One of them's me. The other's not you. And action. Now Freeze. He's, he's, oh, you're okay, sorry. Oh, obviously. Come on now. <laughs> I've been I've been auditioning all evening for this role. And action. Freeze. You're Cameron Poe. That's right. I'm Larkin. Hello, Larkin. I I got your message. Where are the troops? They'll be here. They'll be here? Mm Mm-hmm. In a minute. Listen, Poe, can I I lower this? Go ahead. You going to lower yours? Sorry, boss. It's only two men I trust. One of them's me, and the other's not you. So Sandino was running a drag on everyone. Yeah. Can't trust a South American drug lord. Who can you trust, huh? That was a joke. I'm glad you told me. Now I gotta get back onto the plane. You're a free man, Poe. What are you doing? I can't trade a friend's life for my own, Larkin, that's all. You got a friend on the board? 
See, I knew I was right about you. I read your file. You're not such a bad guy. Just always in the wrong place at the wrong time. Bye, Larkin. I spoke to your wife. In person? In person. And your little girl. You saw Casey? If this thing goes bad, Larkin, I'm afraid my daughter won't understand. If you talk to my wife again, you tell her, tell her I love her. Tell her she's my hummingbird. But I couldn't leave a fallen man behind. You'll do that for me, won't you, Larkin? Sure I will. What are you going to do for me? What do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to save the fucking day. I don't have time to explain myself to you! <laughs> I'm making this goddamn cage! <laughs> that was I gotta better. go and kidnap the Declaration of Independence! Okay, as you like to say, Niall, just some notes. Some notes. Yeah. <laughs> act, act better. <laughs> well, your sudden acting wasn't great, but I think that's more Nicholas Cage's fault. Nicholas Cage's fault. Yeah, it is. I was doing not a good sudden accent because he's not doing a good sudden yes. accent. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I liked it. So there you have it. Nicholas Cage is neither good nor bad, but he is somebody who can get the entire room talking about how good or bad he is. Now, that's a special kind of talent. Till next time, film fans. Bye. See you at the movies, because the movies are back. They're important for everybody to go to. Bye. You have been listening to The Real Take, presented by Sinead Brassel, Ross Leahy, and Niall O'Brien. Our music was provided by actor, artist, and musician Will Guppy. You can find him on Instagram at will.guppy. And you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Real Take Podcast. If you would like to contact us to tell us how fantastic we are, you can reach us at therealtakepodcast at gmail.com. See you at the movies.